Welcome to the UX Podcast, where we learn how to turn a rockstar business into a UX machine. UX introduces a simple formula for personal and business growth based around one principle. We can't solve big, valuable problems alone. Starting with this principle, UX equips and empowers us to pour ourselves into people and systems, scale authentically, and create a life of exponential freedom and impact. And now, let's get started with the latest episode of the UX Podcast. Hey, what's up, Rockstars? This is Matt Johnson. Welcome back. We've got a great in-depth conversation for you, and it's all about teams. So if you're running any sort of professional service business, whether you're a business coach, consultant, or a creative or an agency owner, this 100% applies to you because we're talking with John Ellison, who's a uh, professional service firm owner. He owns a, a digital marketing agency called Yo Dog Marketing. He's also the author of a book called Remote Revolution because John was one of the very first people that went on the remote year program. And for those that aren't familiar, it's a program where for an entire year, they basically put you in one new location around the world every single month and take care of all of your accommodations and your workspace requirements. John was one of the first people to get into the initial program and now it's exploded. And I know other folks who have gone through it and absolutely rave about it. And in John's case, it literally changed his entire life. Uh, he has now continued to be remote. And at the time when we, when we filmed this interview, he was in Mexico uh, because he's continuing to travel, continues to run his agency completely decentralized. And what's interesting is that he did not build it up from the ground that way. He built a traditional marketing agency. He had a background in hotel management switched that over into an agency to serve that market, right? So he took his deep industry expertise and then he turned that into a professional service firm that served that same industry and leveraged all those years of expertise. What he found himself doing though was, was commuting into an office of 20 people in California and he didn't want to do that anymore. He didn't, actually didn't feel like it was better for those people to have to show up to that office anymore. And so he basically walked in one day, uh, you know, him and his partner talked about it and said, hey, 20 employees, hey, don't, don't worry about showing up next week. Let's start working from home. And so John shares the story uh, about why he did that, what led up to that decision, and what the outcome is, and how he manages a team of virtual talent from around the world. He hires the best people he can find. And we also talk about the concept of gig teams. Uh, now, I think where this fits into the world of UX is a gig team is people finding each other and forming teams that can be hired to do very specific things. So they're not forming companies necessarily. These are kind of ad hoc teams <clears throat> where they know they work really well with the people. They know that they can do a very specific thing really well. And so you can hire an entire group of people to get the result that you want with and without hiring a bunch of different people who then you have to manage to get the project done, right? They manage themselves or they've agreed within themselves who the manager of the project is. And I think that's one of the key types of business models that will emerge as we shift to this exponential economy where there's going to be a lot more entrepreneurs and a lot more service providers that are that each have their own company. Companies, I think we're going to see a lot of this banding together with other people to, to offer very specific projects that can be done. Um, and it supplements and it adds and kind of weaves in and out of our regular business of doing just our core work, right? Or having a scalable business that's a, that's a core of one-on-one -on -one clients and then being able to have the freedom to do these types of projects on top of it because you can afford to take risks and you can afford to get involved in other things that are outside of just your one-on-one -on -one client work. So that, that fits really well, really nicely into the world of UX and where I see things going. Uh, so we had a great conversation around how do you really manage that and how do you manage a virtual team when you're all around the world and when they're all around the world 
Um, and I, and we both can speak from experience. I mean, uh, my podcast production company has people in, I think five States and four countries at this point. And so I'm able to hire the best talent that I can find from anywhere. And that's really the message of this podcast. So if you are, uh, if you're in that same position where you're managing people, uh, and you are looking for ways to get the best people from anywhere, this episode is for you. So let's jump in with John Elston, the author of the remote revolution. All right. So first of all, John, welcome and uh, appreciate you being here. Thanks, Matt. I'm, I'm excited. I've been looking forward to this. I know I have too. Uh, and, and you're the author of Remote Revolution and I, I've got the book and I'm diving in and we've got, there's a lot of similarities and, uh, and you've been through the Remote Year program, which one of my guys uh, has been through uh, in the past. One of the people that was uh, one of my, you know, part of my virtual team and, uh, and you've got, you're running a digital agency. It's fully distributed, decentralized. We'll talk about all that stuff, but give people just a sense of like when, when people ask what you do, what, what the heck do you tell people? <laughs> You're living in Mexico right now. I, I don't know how often this yeah, What do you right? do? Well, everyone always asks the same thing. So you traveled around the world. The first question is, and you worked, um, what was your favorite place, right? Yeah, of course. And um, I won't even try to answer that. I've just been asked so many times about it. I start to just make up fun things to make the conversation entertaining <laughs> because every single place I lived and every place that I worked, um, there's something special about that place that was better than the place before or the place mm -hmm. after. Um, but, you know, I did start uh, something, a program was selected for remote year. And um, ironically, I think I really like on remote year three of my own. I never went back and it wasn't my intention to do that. Uh, my intention was to go out and become a citizen of the world to most importantly, tap into some talent for my business and meet people around the world that I knew were capable of being superstars and, uh, you know, land them and bring them on as, as teams around the world to work together. And, and it worked, it worked so well to the point that halfway through my adventure, um, I decided to write my first book, um, about it because I just felt that there was a message to share, um, to both the corporate side where I spent decades of my time and my personal life on the corporate world. And then now being and living the remote life, um, I wanted to just bring those two dots and connect them and hook them, hook them together. And so I wrote the book. Yeah. Which is, which is awesome by the way. And I wanted to talk a little bit about the, uh, kind of the underlying drivers. Cause uh, I think people will be very fascinated by your perspective on it. Uh, just give us a quick idea of what the agency looks like. I mean, you're, you're, yeah. what, what does that look like? Well, um, the agency, I'll just give you a quick reader's digest elevator pitch. I started it in 2010, which was arguably the world's worst economy. Everything was just <laughs> horrible. Yeah. And I left really, uh, I left a seven figure corporate job and um, that I had spent, like I said, 30 years honing and working and taken public and then gone back and reran. And um, Goodness. I, I left that in 2010, I think because I was scratching an itch, I knew that there was, there was other things happening. I was ready to go do that. And I guess what I'd been doing during my corporate life was I was developing this agency inside of the corporation and finally got to the tilting point or a scalable point where I thought I could take that agency, move it outside um, and make it my own. And I did. Uh, and what I learned, what I had hoped to do happened. And that's that in 2010, the most valuable asset was, was talent and my availability to incredible talent um, that I would never be able to afford in a bootstrap startup 
Um, and that's because the economy was so bad. These amazing, bright young men and women were getting out of college and going back home um, yeah. with tons of college debt, moving in with their parents and not finding jobs. So I started the agency and what it looked like was um, a 5,800 square foot um, commercial office building that my partner and I um, started to try to make look Google-esque and Facebook-esque and all of the cool stuff. And, um, yeah. you know, it worked. But um, as the CEO and a little bit stubborn sometimes, I thought it was working better than it was, um, meaning that it was cool. People loved it. I never had a client in the office because it was a digital agency. And the talent that I was attracting were the best talent available, but they were making commutes in, Matt, from, you're familiar with Southern California area. My mm -hmm. office was in San Clemente. I was having people drive in from Huntington Beach, from Los Angeles, from Poway, from San Diego. Oh. Holy um, cow. Yeah, all over because they were like, shoot, this, this dude's offering me a job in a startup and he's paying, he's paying me. Um, <laughs> and a good it, thing, yeah. It has a good, cool vibe. And we did. And, uh, so that's how it started. The agency grew up to a little over 20 employees, all in-house based. Mm -hmm. And um, we started focusing on the online presence of um, entrepreneurs, of um, public figures, and um, small to mid-sized businesses, and mm -hmm. just started to rock it. Um, yeah, I and, love that niche. Yeah. yeah it's it was, fun. It's the most fun niche to be in. It is. It is cool. And, you know, once you once you do it for a couple of years and they, you know, you, you always hear, Hey, after the toughest thing to do is to get your startup or your business to five years. If mm -hmm. you can make it through five years, you're going to just, you, you've got it down for us. And for me, it was just the opposite. I got to five years <laughs> and I was like, Holy mackerel, what to do now? Because everybody yeah. in the world now believes they're social media experts. Yeah. Everybody can make a website for $10, right? Is what yeah. they think. I know what PPC is and SEM and SEO. Um, so it was reinventing ourselves and trying to figure out um, what to do next. And then we got into the social influencing business. We got into the video production business. Um, and all of those things were great. We just continued to pivot and re reinvent ourselves. Um, but what I didn't expect, Matt, was what happens when the tightening job market happens and your company is in this funky beach town which I absolutely love, San Clemente. Um, and your superstars, um, who are probably in their mid-20s, most of them, a couple in their 30s, were saying, you know, would you let me do this job from LA? Hey, my, my boyfriend or my girlfriend got a promotion and moving to Chicago. Can I do this designer work from Chicago? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the answers um, are, are now disappointing to me, my own answers, because it was one word and I said no. Absolutely not. Mm. No, you know, and I'm, uh, it's, it was such a learning experience and for me to have come full circle now and, uh, and have a completely decentralized office where not one employee goes into the office every day. And I have employees, uh, in India, I have employees in Belgrade, um, some in the U S and, um, we're actually getting a lot more work done. A lot of great things are still happening. Mm. Business is growing. Um, but, I went about it the hard way. I lost a lot of very, very good talent in the beginning by being the stubborn CEO that, you know, wanted to create this local in-house office. Well, yeah, which I totally get. And I'm, man, there's a lot of people in my world <clears throat> that feel that same way, mm -hmm. right? Which is, 
whether they believe you have to create this kind of Google Facebooky kind of atmosphere that, you know, that, that can be the case or not. But I know a lot of guys, good leaders mm-hmm. who believe that people need to show up to a physical place. They need the culture mm-hmm. of showing up to that place to really be effective. Even, mm-hmm. even in stuff that we would think is very, you know, just result oriented, like, Hey, either, either you got the, this piece of the design work done or not. Um, and it sounds like you probably felt that way back then. What, what changed? Well, what changed, I did feel that way. And it's, it's largely because of the way I grew up in the business and, mm-hmm. you know, I was trying to emulate, um, pass on the emulation of my success to my agency without realizing that times had changed, aspirations had changed. Um, the talent hadn't changed because people are incredible, incredibly smart and mm-hmm. far smarter than, than I was uh, and even am today at a lot of things. And um, I guess what I figured out was that it really wasn't so much about the culture. It wasn't so much about the stand-up meetings. It was literally about the talent. It was literally the people. And it sounds so obvious, but your friends and myself and the people that you talked, that you mentioned that believe they need to be in the office and have this culture. If you follow up and ask them the next questions, what qualities are you looking for when you hire an employee? Um, they're going to list off that they want self-starters, they want creatives, they want people that can um, manage themselves, they want good team players, they want um, people who are responsible. They're going to name off all these things. Well, what they've just named are the key ingredients for being a successful remote, independent location person. All of those same traits and things are exactly what we're looking for for in-house employees it's just that the employees don't want to be in-house. Yeah. So they want, they don't want a second mortgage and two cars. And, you know, in a lot of cases, they're slowing down when they want to have families. Mm-hmm. They want inspiration. And mm-hmm. it's no longer, I don't think, as much of a responsibility of a CEO or a company to be the person that personally provides that inspiration by setting up you know, foosball tables and napping pods and baristas and free lunches and car washes. Yes. Cool, cool, cool. I love it. I love it. I love it. But I'm not getting to spend enough time with my girlfriend. Um, I'm not getting enough time away from the office. I want to go out and have a purpose-driven kind of life and go do some fun things. And those people are talent, talented. That's, that's what I didn't want to let go of. So hmm. after losing a couple really strong people because I was stubborn and my, my, a players. Um, I walked in one day and called a meeting and said, Hey, we're closing the office on Thursday. And, um, I've told the story many times because it just resonates and sticks in my head. I even, I put it in the book as well. I said, we're closing the office on Thursday and, um, I feel like I'm letting all of you down. Um, and they didn't even think they knew the agency was healthy and the agency was doing well, Yeah. but I saw this puzzled look on their face and I said, everybody in this room. And at the time there were about 18 employees. I said, you're going to have the chance to work from home or anywhere in the world that you want. Chief Chris, my um, chief technical guy is set you setting you guys up this week with all of the hardware and all of the setups and everything that you need to be mobile. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I was emotional about it because I really thought I was letting them down. You know, they're not going to be able to come into this cool office in this great culture. And um you know, one employee at the end of the table, uh, my top designer stood up and gave me the slow clap and was like, (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> and that's how it started. The slow clap. <laughs> the slow clap started, and then okay. pretty soon, 17 people were clapping and um, standing up. And in 30 years of being a leader and running companies, it was my first standing ovation. That's <laughs> when I told everybody they didn't have to come into the office. <laughs> it was really cool. Yeah. So I still had a lease. I still had a, an office full of, of furniture and all my stuff. <laughs> it, doesn't, and, it doesn't magically disappear when you make was, the decision to go remote. <laughs> no, and worse, worse, my, my business partner and my, my you know, right-hand guy was about, he's a little bit older than me, actually. We're so old school. We have this really trendy, cool agency, and we just got a standing ovation, and nobody showed up in the office on Thursday except for Chris and I. Yeah. We walk in, and we go to our same routine. We get the coffee, and we're like just looking around this expansive office, <laughs> looking at each other like, what <laughs> the hell did we do? What is going on? I was going to say, man, they took it. They took, so, uh, yeah, they took that to heart. Oh, man. Yeah, they, they, immediately. They, they took it to heart, and Andrew from Huntington Beach started – um, surfing in the morning during what would be his normal hour and a half uh, commute. Mm -hmm. um, Say, who was my expert social media person, was spending extra time with Pilates and yoga because she picked up a few hours. They were all completely motivated. Mm -hmm. And um, <laughs> the clients, not only, not only did they not know that we weren't sitting in in this egotistical kind of driven power office, mm -hmm. um, they knew they were getting happier uh, employees and more attention um, to their own work that we were doing. It was just super cool. So yeah. I had a lease for five months. I had to keep going into the office, but when that lease ended, brother, I sold my cars. I got rid of my clothes, most of my shoes, packed everything into one bag, and uh, I took off to Prague. That's where I started living. <laughs> yeah, which is exactly, that's a good segue. That's where the book picks up. So for those that uh, that are listening, go go out and get the remote revolution because it actually starts right there. Um, but like, like, I think there's a lot of people, man, there's there's a ton of people in my world that first of all, would love to do that. And and that, that's definitely one of their first thoughts is, okay, how do you keep people, people productive mm -hmm. uh, when they're not coming into an office? And you mentioned the inspiration piece, which I think was, that's one of the things that I took away from the book is this idea that, we don't have to be the one that provides the inspiration, the motivation to kind of keep them in the game, giving them the freedom and the time and the space mentally and low and physically like it creates the, the opportunity for them to go out and find their own inspiration, which they then bring into the work. Exactly. Which I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. It's, and it seems so obvious. It's just not, it's just not obvious to a lot of, business owners and entrepreneurs, um, you know, and those two categories also generally come with the trade of wanting to be in control and to want to have their hands mm -hmm. in a little bit of everything. Um, so it does come down ultimately to the team mm -hmm. and trust and um, production and, and all of that. So yeah. um, it is, it is important and, and to, to make sure you've making the right hiring decisions and getting the right people into the remote jobs. If you're an owner, um, or a manager. And as a remote yourself, it's important to make sure that you understand no matter where you live, um, work is first. It's just like any other life. Work mm -hmm. is first. If work isn't first, um, when you're introducing this to your company, you're probably not going to make it. You still have to, you still have to work. It's interesting that you say that. Cause yeah, that's, um, we're so used to like as business owners, we are used to 
at least from our perspective, perception, dealing with people who don't put it first, I think that's part of why we feel like they need to roll into the office because it's like it's our way of carving out a, a space for work in their life because they put their life first and the work second. Yeah. Um, and so is that something you, I'm assuming you probably screen for that. You're looking for people that, that approach it the way you do, that work and life are one thing. Yeah, I, 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 I do do that. And I want to clarify, when I say first, that doesn't mean first thing in the morning. That mm-hmm. doesn't mean, um, you know, that it's the last thing you do before you go to bed, but it's job. Someone is paying you to get things done. Mm-hmm. And that has to happen. You have to be and carry the same traits as a great employee that's in the office. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you do that, your boss will have no argument when it comes time for your annual review or giving you an extension on working remote because inevitably probably what's going to happen is you're going to end up being more productive. The right people end up working a little bit more than they did in the office because there are less distractions Mm-hmm. Because they do love it so much that they don't want it to be taken away. And when you love something so much, you make sure you're doing it right. Um, I think if I had an office full of people and I said, hey, guys, every Tuesday we're going to do a call at one in the morning. Um, and it's people who are coming in the office every day. But I know you're going home, but we're going to get on a call at one in the morning every Wednesday. Um, I think I would get huge pushback. They would be like, what are you talking about? We're doing a call at one in the morning. What's going on? Mm -hmm. Well, as a remote, sometimes if you, if you live in Prague and your company's in LA, you're doing calls at one in the morning. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to say it's a hazard of the job. It's, it's actually one of the perks and benefits. Mm -hmm. And you just say, yeah, I'll be on the call or I'll coordinate the call. And you make stuff like that happen. If you don't accept that as a remote, you're going to, you're going to run into some roadblocks and find yourself constantly looking for work. Yeah. Agreed. And it's funny you mentioned the, um, them loving it so much, they'll do whatever they can to kind of maintain that, that ability. Uh, Mm -hmm. it's, I sat down with, um, with my key guy, my operations manager, who's based here in San Diego. So I actually worked with him and trained him side by side for six months. Now we live in the same city and we see each other about once every three months. <laughs> so he's, he's basically remote, even though I could drive 15 minutes up to Rancho Bernardo and see him whenever I want to. The best and, example of a great hire right there. That's exactly what well, I'm talking yeah, about. There's, there's a good question I want to ask you here in a second, but uh, I, I was, it's funny that I was sitting down with him here a few months back and we we're just talking about the future of the business. And he's about a year in with me and he came out of working for a state farm office, you know, working in an office for a few years, dealing with entrepreneurs, same, similar people that we deal with now. But, uh, but showing up to an office, I said, what is it, what is it like? I mean, just from your perspective, you know, what, what's, what's your life like doing this now and working from home essentially versus rolling into an office? He's like, honestly, he's like, I didn't realize it, but when I left that job, he's like, it was, it felt like I was not drowning anymore. Mm-hmm. Like I had pulled my head out of water and mm-hmm. can breathe again. I'm like, wow. I I hear it all the time. Yeah. I I hear something very similar all the time. Um, I hear how it strengthens relationships and people are like, well, gosh, my relationship is cool at home because I'm not there a lot. Mm -hmm. Right. And the little time that I spend together with my, my partner or my boyfriend or my girlfriend, um, we never fight because we're never together. And then what they experience when they become a remote 
is generally, I have no idea why I waited to do this. Mm-hmm. This is such a blessing and such a good um, thing for me personally. Um, it's helping my relationship. And I don't want to get off on that tangent because it's away yeah. from the professional side, but it's important. Because yeah. if you're inspired by your relationship, then you're going to do good work. Yeah. If you're inspired by your environment, you're going to do good work. If you're inspired by your office, then you're going to do good work. But that's hard mm-hmm. to do. Being inspired, sitting in a cube, having to pull some weekend shifts and listen to people bitch and moan or gossip about stuff, <laughs> it's not really inspiring. No, <laughs> not, not so much. I'm not, I'm, I'm not <laughs> I, and I know I'm, I'm taking a very small, you know, segment and, and making yeah. it sound ridiculous, but it's, it's really true. People are like, yeah. man, if you ask people where, where do they get work done? Where do you get work done? None of them say the office. They say, <laughs> when I want to get work, any real responsibility. Yeah. When I want to get work done, I leave the office and I go to a coffee shop. Yes. I get work done in the car. I go to the park and I plug in and I get stuff done. Nobody says I sit in my cube and I grind. Yeah. <laughs> no, they have an office, they go and then they yeah. don't get as much done. That's, and it's just, it's true. And it is funny. Cause I'm, I'm sitting here at my amazing, you know, adjustable standup desk and yada, yada, hey. literally like as soon as I get done with the podcast, I'm going to Starbucks and that's where I, you put your sound isolating headphones in and that like, that's my body's trigger to like deep focus. Yeah. It's yeah, so right weird. On. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's the, it's the same thing. Um, okay. So I wanted to ask you, like you, you've been, you went from running an agency, having an employee show up, you decentralize it, you give them the freedom to work for whatever you go on this remote year. Like you, like you went through a huge transition in very, very short time. Um, what was the biggest or a couple of the biggest challenges of running the business in them being remote and you being remote? And I don't know which one was the biggest. I would imagine, you know, I'm curious from both sides of it, but what was your, did anything come up that really threatened the business while you were on that first year? That's a great question. I, I don't think there was anything that threatened the business. I think um, probably the hardest thing, I shouldn't say probably, unequivocally the toughest thing was explaining this to my traditional clients. Okay, hmm. so... It wasn't finding talent. It wasn't motivating the team. It had nothing to do with the performance of my team. That actually got better. Mm-hmm. But, you know, two and three weeks before I left, even though a client had never been in my office and I was doing video calls with them once a month to report, they had this insecurity about what do you mean you're moving to Prague? You're the CEO of the agent. Who's going to do my reports and how, how am I going to? And so it was really tough because I was trying to tell my clients they were not only not going to see a difference, they were going to see improvements. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them just didn't buy it. They mm-hmm. were just like, look, I can't tell my boss that our agency is spread out all over the world. If we need you guys on the phone. Mm-hmm. And um, it really challenged me to say, I'm going to bust my ass and I'm going to make sure that every single one of my clients has no idea that I am climbing Machu Picchu this morning and then doing a conference call this afternoon from Peru. Mm -hmm. And it worked. I didn't hide it from them. I just made sure that it was business as usual. And there are, there's a price to pay for everything that you love. Um, And the price to pay for being a remote, if you love it, is you've got to have flexibility. 
you got to you got to be willing if you're in a customer facing business um, or you're in a B2B you have to be willing to adapt to the client's expectations many remotes end up not being successful because they want to do it around their time not realizing that you know it's harming their relationship with the client but that was the hardest thing was just getting the word out that this is how it's going to work and that I believed in it and then making it happen. I lost a couple clients too. I got to admit, I, I lost yeah. a couple before I went. So it's not like we went and did a bad job. They just said, you know what? Agencies, agencies, and we're just used to having them have an office. Mm-hmm. It's like, whoa, all right, maybe this isn't the best client for me anyway. Yeah. Maybe that yeah. was a way of me just accepting it. I don't know, but um, it didn't slow us down. We found more business. We found people who, uh, and clients who loved the idea, hmm. who were thinking about doing it and wanted to have some association with a remote agency. So, yeah. worked well. Well, and in terms of, I, I get why the clients have that perception. Um, and, I, and I get why anybody that's listening to this is thinking about their own team mm-hmm. and thinking, okay, could I, you know, could I really handle it if all of my staff the key people I count on are all across the world. So is there, is there merit in a middle ground? Um, you know, having one or two really key people like in the States or in your city or whatever, like, is there a structure that you found works better at this point? That's an ideal. Absolutely. A million percent. This is not an all for nothing, Mm -hmm. uh, escapade. It's not an all for nothing, um, uh, solution. It can be, and you you can do it. Uh, mm-hmm. We did it, but I, I I almost don't recommend it. I I almost recommend putting a couple toes in the water. Um, it depends on where your business is and really what it is. But no, I I have very good business friends and people that I consult and work with all the time that are taking that toe and dipping it down into the ankle and then getting up to the calf and saying, you know what? I'm so glad I did it this way. And one of the things that they love about it is it has become actually a key recruiting aspect of their business Mm -hmm. and a retention aspect because sometimes like your, but your buddy, you mentioned earlier in, in our conversation, being in the office to learn and understand the culture is important. Absolutely, especially with a company that is vested and been around and puts a lot of emphasis on team culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have friends in business now who are saying, look, we do have a remote program and aspect of this company, but it's for our best employees. This is what we use for people who have been here, proven themselves, perform well, understand our culture, and that we have profound trust in. So what we'd like to do is have you get started with us. And we have an 18 month in-house work program where you're gonna come to this office and work every day. And then you'll be eligible or, you know, all variations of that. Where they'll say, you know what, if that's really what you want to do, there's a segment of our company that does that. But we really need to have our legal department here. We really need to have our R&D here. and there's a lot of that going on. And I, I think it's a really good way to go a little bit at a time. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was going to say, it's going to be interesting to see how, like, cause I, I talk to more of the entrepreneurial crowd. So they're more comfortable with it. Um, the, the corporate, the, the medium and large size, it's going to be interesting to see how they, 
deal with the changing expectations because the startups seem to have an easier time with it. The smaller entrepreneurs as they grow and bring on teams seem to have an easier time of it. But yeah, corporations, uh, you know, and medium sized businesses, I think it's going to be very interesting to see what kind of hybrids Mm -hmm. come out of this, like as they dip their toes into the water too. Um, And then, yeah, I like the idea of having, you know, whatever you deem is your key people, key department, whatever the case is, having that right there with you, a phone call away, a, 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 you know, a couple of mile drive away or something like that's how I am. I've got, you know, my key guys here in San Diego, my key designer is in Omaha where I'm from. We literally sat across a desk from each other for six months. She knows me extremely well. So I couldn't ask for like a better kind of hybrid yeah. mix. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's uh, and then of course I have one key person that's in South Africa. We've never met. Right. And, awesome. and, but she's proven herself over time, mm-hmm. over three years of working together that it that can work. So I think there's uh, it's going to be interesting to watch to see what it develops, but um, where can people go to grab the book and just learn more about uh, you and connect with you and all that good stuff? Thank you, brother. It's, it's very simple. I signed a short-term exclusive deal with Amazon so um, they can get it at the Kindle store, an ebook online for under 10 bucks. And um, I went and did the hardback uh, copy, mm-hmm. which I, I love that it's 172 pages and that somebody like you can pick it up in the morning and get halfway through it. Um, that's what this book was all about to be able to, to hammer while you're, you know, out on a hike or camping or at work or sitting on the, on the uh, nightstand next to the bed. Cause um, you know, I tell stories in the book. I tell relative stories to my actual travel and then I try to mix in and, and tell people the tactical side of how to find work, how to hire the employees and do that. Mm-hmm. And, um, so Amazon uh, is the place to go to get it. Um, and uh, that would be awesome to do it. Um, you can go to my site at john at johnelston.com and uh, you can get uh, all kinds of fun stuff there, tips and ideas. Yeah, yeah. and if anybody's listening, I'll say this a lot, one last thing about the book. Um, what it helped me do, and I'm, I'm a millennial, but just barely, like I was born in, in 82. So like anybody that's my age or older, if you struggle to relate to anyone that's age of 30 and under and don't know where the hell they're coming from, what they value in life, um, your observations of the people that you met along the way in this remote year program were invaluable because they really, they, they even helped me clarify and I'm big on freedom and big on location independence and all that stuff. It even clarified and helped me understand better what their motivations are, you know, how collaborative, how team oriented they are. Cause I'm way more independent, right? Cause I'm a little bit older, you know, came out of the eighties. And so there's an interesting things like that, that if you're a business owner and you want to understand the next generation of people that are coming into your organization, I mean, even just for, for that, the book is, is really, really good. So I just wanted to point that out. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. Man. Yes. Thanks. Hey, no, we're running out of time on, on your end, but I know you wanted to talk about gig teams. Can mm-hmm. I give you, because you just reminded me of that. Yeah. This yeah. Is a good segue for me to jump in and, and tell your audience. <laughs> of course. Okay, yeah. Absolutely. Fantastic. So these gig teams, um, it's not new. I didn't create it. I didn't invent it, but um, I feel I've made it a little bit better and I've experimented with it. And I can talk from two sides. I can talk from the corporate CEO side and tell people that, Um, If you own your business, you know that one of the hardest things to do is to put together a good team. And when you put together a team, you're taking a risk and you're taking your experience and you're taking uh, employee A and employee B and employee C. And maybe one started earlier, maybe one's just joining the company and maybe one's been there for a while. Mm -hmm. What you're trying to do is is use your mind and experience to get the best team together that's possible. It's very, very very hard to do. And um, it's the way we do things. 
Now what's happening with these gig teams are people are finding each other. So the employees are finding people that they gel with and work really well with. Someone who uses their left brain and their right brain, someone who has this skill and that skill, but most importantly, people that inspire them as employees, the people that they can learn from, and they're putting together these little mega gig teams and they come as a package. So um, one of the things, if you're a remote, it does is it builds a community immediately. Now you have four people to go out and split an Airbnb because you're all grinding and working together. You can get a nicer house with a pool and there's four of you and it's super <laughs> cool, right? You figure yeah. like your own big brother house, but you're mm -hmm. living and digging it and working with people that you enjoy. Okay. Um, on the corporate side of things, you make one hire and you have a team that you already know loves each other does great work and gets things done and it cuts right to the chase. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, in the old days we used to call it, you know, we'd hire a consulting team and a consulting mm -hmm. agency would bring in four or five people or a creative team, a branding team, and they bring in four or five account people and they build stuff for you. Mm -hmm. Well, this can be done in gig teams with just about any profession from mm -hmm. sales training to, um, writing all these things. There are people who have figured out, you know what, this is a pretty cool gig. It's like getting a band together. And that's why they call it, you know, it's a gig. They like doing gigs. They aren't going to come work for you forever. But yeah. I got news for you. They were never going to work for you forever, right? It's no more, <laughs> no more getting the silver cup and the 20 year badge. Yeah, yeah. We all, we want to do six or seven gigs a year. Mm -hmm. And when you find those buddies or those people that you just love working with, there's nothing better, man. And so you hire a motivated gig team that's sitting in Belgrade, Serbia. I have four guys right now. Mm -hmm. they, they have their little garage agency, but they're doing gigs for me. Mm. And they're building sites and they're making things happen. And uh, I did one interview, all four of them. It was like interviewing the, you know, a band. <laughs> <laughs> they came into my little, uh, my little awesome. apartment in, in, okay. in Serbia and I hired them and they've been doing stuff for a couple of years now. So it's mm. just fun to see those teams come together and they do it themselves. And, uh, you know, as a business owner, there's nothing better than getting, having one meeting and hiring four people that have worked together and made it happen. Yeah, no kidding. It's well, cool. and, and what's the, where, where does a, where does a business owner from our perspective, where do we find those people? Oh, uh, that's a great question. You know, you can actually, um, you can run ads in the traditional places. So wherever you're running ads, um, it's such a familiar term now that you can say, you know, seeking gig team for three month project, work from anywhere, um, must have this type of experience. And what you're doing is you're really placing one ad and you're listing four different types of experiences. Somewhere out there, somebody on the gig team is gonna say, hey guys, these guys are looking to um, uh, build an app and they need uh, an engineer, an architect, a copywriter. Well, that's who we are. Boom. Let's go and do that. So um, you can find them uh, through companies like Flex Jobs. I always talk about Flex Jobs. Uh, you can um, look for employees through a glass door. There's just so many outlets. If you just go on uh, to Google and, and type in hire gig team or search for gig team, mm -hmm. you're going to find this little collection and community of people wanting to find gigs and yeah. work together. 
Yeah. And and I love that because that's, I mean, that feeds into kind of the whole point of, of UX and the point of the book and that's coming out and all that stuff is that, yeah, I think that our, our role is shifting to where it used to be the only way to scale up was to hire employees like you did with your agency, put 20 people, 40 people, hundred people in a room and make sure someone's getting coffee. Um, I don't think that's going to be the new way to scale. I think this is going to be the new way to scale, whether it's gig teams and things like that. What's cool about that, the gig team stuff is that there's the potential there to help other people become entrepreneurs in their own right, which is freaking awesome. Like the ability yeah. to like lead leaders, like that's, that's where my head's at. That's what yeah. I'm That is super cool. No, I, I a million percent agree with it. Um, and generally what happens with the gig teams I've had, they've just turned me on to other gig teams and other people. Mm. And um, it just saves what, what I realize most about being a business owner is hiring gig teams and doing the remote how much time I got back as a leader. Um, I, I have a tendency to, to, to have a little bit of ADD and kind of get into a bunch of different things. And this actually helped me with my ADD because it focused me one thing at a time and um, just gave me back so much time. I didn't need to do eight or nine things at once um, when I had these independent people working all over the world. Mm. Love it. John, this has been fantastic. So hopefully everybody goes and grabs the book and connects with you and all, all that good stuff. So man, I, I Thank really you, appreciate the time today. Now, I believe that clarity releases energy. So I hope that this episode creates clarity for you by laying out a path forward in your business. Now, if you're interested in starting a podcast like this to help you break into a new industry or to establish yourself as an authority in a niche market, let's talk. We have a complete done for you podcasting service uh, that is my agency that I'm building and growing. And I'd love to talk to you about what we can potentially do for you. You can learn more at pursuingresults.com to get a sense of what our service is all about. And if you're ready, if you're really seriously thinking about starting a podcast, I'm happy to brainstorm your ideas and talk about the positioning of your podcast within the market. Something that you can take away whether we end up working together or not. So you can grab a time on my calendar for a podcast brainstorm call at bookjohnson.com. That is bookjohnson.com. I just want to thank you again for listening to the show, for leaving us a rating and a review on iTunes, and more importantly, for investing your time, your energy, your attention into the show. It really means the world to me that you would do that. So again, this is the UX podcast where we learn how to turn a rockstar business into a UX machine, and we'll see you on the next episode.